0: one of my favorite people I like to read from time to time for a bit of light relief is Abby Abby's a columnist and there was a letter to Dear Abby and, I, and, she's, and this letter said Dear Abby, I am 44 years old and I'd like to meet a man my age with no bad habits signed Rose Abby wrote back with her usual wit Dear Rose, so would I <laughs> How do you handle anger in your home? this is a very important question if you're a parent you're going to get ticked off with your teenagers remember this mikey kara when this comes you your teenagers are going to to push you to a level that you haven't even thought of yet and all those who are parents said amen "Amen." did you hear that (laughs) in any relationship friends any relationship be it with your children or be it with your spouse even sometimes with your siblings, conflict is inevitable. Why is conflict inevitable? Because human beings disagree. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that people in your own family disagree? You know what? I sometimes even disagree with myself. One minute I'm going this way. Okay, but conflict is inevitable, but here's the deal. Combat is not Conflict is inevitable. It will happen. So when you get married, don't be surprised if you have conflict. But what I want to talk about today is how you handle that conflict and not turn it into combat. You need to learn how to disagree without being disagreeable. That does not mean you give your position up. It means that when you disagree, you disagree agreeably. You argue And it's okay to argue. Kids, I'm not saying don't argue. Did you hear that, Vincent? I'm not saying don't argue. But I am saying don't assassinate the other person's character whilst you are arguing your point. That's called an abhominum argument. When you're not winning the argument, so you start to disparage their character. In every relationship, you'll have conflict. And you're going to have other two things. You'll either have a breakdown in the relationship, Or if you do it with diligence and God-given wisdom, you will have a breakthrough. The choice will be yours, Jack. Whether you actually get traction or not. Or whether you just stuff it. And we'll talk about how that works later on. If you have a breakthrough, this is a beautiful thing. It leads you to a new level of maturity. Intimacy. Yes. Even after a dispute. Intimacy. And... It causes a greater sense of fellowship and community. The key, though, is how you handle your anger, and that's what I want to get at today. How you handle your anger, which all of us will have. The Bible says very clearly that mishandled anger causes enormous damage. Anyone want to give a testimony of that? Don't just put your hand up. <laughs> In relationships, enormous. Proverbs 11:29. From the Living Bible I'm reading, it says, The fool, strong word, the fool who provokes his family to anger and resentment will finally have nothing left. More marriages and more families are destroyed by anger than anything else. Uncontrolled anger. So when it comes to dealing with conflict, again, I've observed this over the years, that you often find two types of people skunks and turtles. Some of you are skunks and when you're upset you can just walk on the door and you can (sniffs) something doesn't smell right and you can smell it. It stinks the whole place out and everybody in the whole house knows they're upset. It just permeates the atmosphere. Turtles on the other hand they pull back into the shell and try not to be obvious about their hurt And they become distant and they withdraw into their shell. And often they'll disengage from a relationship, especially if they're hurt. Today I want to talk about something which I believe is an integral part of discipleship, which is often not talked about in churches. And I'm going to talk to you about a skill. A skill which God wants you to learn. And that is how to handle anger. It's essential for every healthy marriage and a strong family because you will be pushed in relationships. It's all about learning to deal with how you feel. Because sometimes our feelings can set us off the wrong direction. It's learning how to handle your anger. Now I just want to briefly say one thing too. Kim and I are exact opposites in nearly every way except for our commitment to the lord i like fast she likes slow i don't mind the extremes of blistering heat 48 49 or the freezing cold at minus you know 15 where she comes from actually can get down to minus 50 where she comes from that's in canada but i've noticed we've gained a little experience from these principles and I want to reflect some of those today I've also noticed that just about the time you get your relationship to work out with your husband and your wife or you start to get that worked out you have issues with your teenagers and you have to relearn a lot of things that you thought you learned I've been here before and here it goes so what does the Bible say (coughs) on your outline there about how to handle anger the first thing that's important is we need to admit my anger I need to admit my anger I need to stop denying it. Stop pretending it's not there. Because you can't fix a problem unless you admit there's an issue. Ephesians 4 24, excuse me, 25 through 26 says, Stop lying to each other. Woo, that's feisty words. Tell the truth. When we lie to each other, we're hurting ourselves. If you are angry, don't sin. How do you sin? By nursing your grudge. It says don't sin by nursing your grudge. Friends, there's a right way and a wrong way to respond to anger. There's an appropriate way and an inappropriate way. There's a constructive and a destructive way to handle it. Anger is not necessarily a sin. It's how you handle it. In fact, if you read in the Old Testament, 375 times in the Old Testament, the Bible says God got angry. And there are some things he should get angry about. That's a whole separate subject. Jesus got angry. And what he was often saying from when he did get angry is, I care about that. There's sometimes that some of us are so laid back, we don't get stirred up about anything. There are some things you should rightly get ticked off about. Sometimes it can be saying I care enough to express, and it's an expression of love. Sometimes you're saying I'm not going to stand by and let you ruin your life. It's not if you get angry; it's what you do with that anger that makes it a sin or not. Now Jesus was angry, but he did not sin. We know that from Scripture. He says also here, "Stop lying to each other." In other words, it's wrong to deny when you're angry. you're angry. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Anyway, the Bible says anger isn't necessarily sin, but lying is definitely a sin about it. So when you're angry and you won't admit it, you're sinning. That's because it's called lying. So this starting point is to admit my anger. See, some of you don't even want to admit to yourself that you're angry. And you can't work on it until you admit it. Now doctors say that the significant cause of depression is anger. And depression is often frozen anger. Not all the time, but often frozen anger. So some of you who have struggled with depression this morning should stop necessarily saying, Why am I depressed? And ask, Is there anything I'm angry about? Often, that can be the real issue. What am I angry about that I don't even want to admit? So I freeze it. Snap freeze. Now the issue is not how to eliminate the anger from your relationship, but how to express it appropriately. Now in order to do that, you and I must understand our anger. That's the second point. I must understand my anger. Proverbs 19.11 says, A man's wisdom. You're smart. You're wise. A man's wisdom gives him patience. Patience. And Proverbs 14.39 says, A patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays his folly. So the point is this. Is that we need to begin to look at ourselves and ask this. Why am I angry? And why does this situation upset me so much? And when you begin to understand what it is that's going on in your heart, God can begin to work on you and can begin to resolve that situation. Now I've noticed, and maybe some of you have too, that arguments really start with the real issue. That's why sometimes we men are confused. We start over here and somehow the argument goes all around the mulberry bush and it ends up over here. What? How does this even relate? Well in their mind it does. And sometimes we have to dig beneath those symptoms to, under, uh, to uncover the actual cause of the anger. This leads me to the three phrases of a typical argument. The first one, and you may want to write that somewhere out the side, is recognition. Sharp words start to get exchanged. By the way, can I just say this for the record? In a Christian marriage, there is absolutely no need for bad language. That should go without saying. So sharp words are getting exchanged. And somebody looks at somebody else wrongly and ticks them off. Or somebody says, that's it. We're going to stop and we're going to talk about this. We have a problem. That's the first stage, the recognition. There's a recognition that there's something that needs to be dealt with. And by the way, that's not a bad stage. Because to fix it, you've got to recognise it. This two is called a reaction. This is where you start talking about it. Now this is a part where we often, we recognise, we're doing pretty good at recognising, if we're not denying it, we recognise it and then we start to get the reaction stage. This is where we start to talk about it and this is where most of us start to get uncomfortable. Because I've noticed that often this stage, vis-a-vis my neighbours, it can get loud. Okay. The Bible says, encourages too. in this, uh, another scripture says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and what's the third part of that? Slow to anger. If you do the first two, the last one will follow. If you do the first two, the last one will follow. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and then you'll be slow to anger. That's not in there, but we start with the reaction it gets loud. All the discussion can go on and on and on and it's hard it gets hard at this point this is phase two and this is where most of us get halfway through that and bail out we jump out but three, phase three is the resolution phase and this is where you hang in there and then what happens after the loud part it starts to come down by the way I'd recommend if you want to keep it down keep the volume down and the tone down that will help an enormous amount even when, you, even when you're dealing with your teenagers or your kids keep the volume down drop the tone of your voice don't be yelling at the top and pushing the anger up down and down and that will help the resolution phase that's where you're both upset about it and you've figured out what and you've talked it through and then the, you've figured there are some things that need to start resolving in that situation but the problem is most of us stop here and the loud angry hostile stage what you've got to go to is a solution which is phase three talking about why you both feel the way you do and that takes time some of us men often want to cut to the chase quick what's the bottom line let me sort it and get out of here That ain't going to cut it sometimes guys we've got to be prepared to be in phase two for some time which leads me to something that we have discovered after more than 36 years of marriage there's always more to learn one of the things we are learning right now is about the time spent in that resolution phase. Again, men generally want to get to the bottom line quick. Just tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it. That's, that's how it'll come out. Just tell me. I have no clue what you want. Just tell me and I'll get on with it. done. They're done talking. Now There are five root causes for anger that we feel in relationships. And this will help you understand five of them we get angry when we feel unaccepted you may want to write that one down when we feel unaccepted the first of you that's on the side yeah you're gonna have five of them when we're rejected for who we are or for what we are when we're unaccepted because we're compared to other people you don't accept me but you're always comparing me to somebody else does anybody do that to you or you may of or criticized we can often get angry now I hope you will never make the error, mistake of comparing your spouse to another spouse or your children to somebody else's children, that is rejecting them and it makes us angry the second, we get angry when we feel unappreciated anybody want to give a testimony to that one? Boy, when people in our family take us for granted and don't value our efforts or our work this can cause great angst many women feel angry they feel at the bottom of the pile of a husband's attention his work takes first place His friends, his extracurricular activities, his golf, whatever it may be. Everything seems to come before me. And there are many women, probably even sitting here today, that are angry about this. This is the truth. See, sometimes the truth truth will set you free, but first it's painful to recognize the truth. There are also men and children who get angry, who feel that their wives, in this case the men, Everybody else is getting their attention, the kids, the baby. And they're just at the bottom of the pile too. And, the, and when it comes to them, there's nothing left to give. So when we feel unappreciated, that's an often a root cause of anger. So it may blow up here, but if you track it all the way back, it's to this unappreciation. The third reason we can get angry is often we feel unsupported. unsupported. We feel like the people in our family are working against us instead of with us. Or they're not even helping. And when when they don't haul their fair share of freight. huh? When they don't share their load of responsibilities, we can get angry. Fourth, we get angry when we feel unprotected. When there are situations in our lives that seem out of control and we feel like people don't care about our needs and we feel vulnerable now when we feel vulnerable we fight what makes us feel unprotected we usually get angry and then another area of no just one that this five will be fine just to wrap this up we get angry when we feel uncertain when there's uncertainty we don't feel like we can trust each other we don't know that the other people in the family are telling us the truth that can make you angry. But the bottom line, the root cause of most of these things that we get angry at, if I kind of summarize all those use, is we get angry because we're hurt, we are frustrated, or we are fearful. That's what it basically boils down to. So the third step to deal with anger is to deal with it immediately. Deal immediately with the anger. That's what the scriptures tell us. This is practical Christian discipleship. Don't procrastinate dealing with it. Because I'll tell you what will happen. It will actually gnaw at your relationship until one day you wake up and you wonder, I've got nothing left. Some seem to go up in the big bang. Others, people will just withdraw. And it's like the roots have been nibbled and nibbled and nibbled and nibbled and nibbled. And, nibbled. and one day somebody wakes up and there's nothing left. The Bible says this instead. Don't delay, but it says this, Ephesians 4, 26. Never let the sun set on your anger. See, there's, a, there's an, an implied time frame there, right? Or else, if you do this, you're going to give the devil a foothold. Now, who in their right mind would want to give the devil a foothold? That's crazy. The Bible says there, if you sit on your anger, you are going to give the devil a foothold. Root that sucker out. Be brutal with it. You're supposed to resolve each day's anger as it comes. But the problem is too often people are unwilling to put the time and the emotional energy into into the resolution stage. To stay at the table, not to, oh I'm out of here, get out and walk away. They're not prepared to stay at the negotiating table until the issues are talked out properly, until the real feelings, the real ones, are allowed to be exposed and expressed and dealt with and solutions hammered out and negotiations taken place. Many are not willing to put that kind of time in. The Bible says though, on the other hand, don't go to bed with unresolved anger. Why? Why? Because Job says, in Job 18.4, you're only hurting yourself with your anger because, boy, it will hurt you. Now, just a quick suggestion. Where at all possible, for those of you who are married and those of you who will be married, do not argue in bed. That's for more pleasant things. Have a time and place out of there. And it's not a good idea to bang, wake your spouse up in bed and say, hey, we need to talk about this. Not good move. <laughs> it will not normally go well. <laughs> Trust me, I've had a bit of experience at this. <laughs> so I'm just trying to help you with some thoughts on my own life. Now, if you want a book on this, to take a bit more time, I want to recommend a book by Neil Warren, Make Anger Your Ally. It's a good book. Yes, that's something, Neil Warren, Make Anger Your Ally. Good book. Now, have you ever noticed the two words, here they are, anger, and danger anger and danger there's one letter difference between the two right just the letter D anger expressed inappropriately is very dangerous to your relationships it can completely destroy lives it can destroy jobs if we allow a powerful emotion to be out of control Now, we've often learned how to express anger in the home that we grew up in. That's why parents, it is a very important skill you need to learn to pass on to your children. Otherwise, your children will learn to uh, react in angry ways the way they've seen you do it. Because they've been inside your home. Now, the good news is no matter what age you are today you can unlearn the destructive patterns of expressing anger that you have previously learned just like I have done and many others in this room and I've observed that unresolved conflict doesn't go away it just keeps growing and unexpressed anger becomes and this is the killer anger won't normally kill your marriage but what it turns into will it goes septic and it becomes bitterness and unforgiveness that will kill your marriage, not anger, not the disputes, not the, not, the, not the fights. But bitterness and hate and hostility, that's the thing that's going to do it. So the Bible says, let's summarize, we've got to admit our anger first. Not well, I'm not angry, because you're never going to solve it. If I go to Dr. Tom and say, you know, he tells me something, he tells me what my problem is, and I go, you know, well first of all, he's going to diagnose me. What's the problem before he can fix me? So we need to admit our anger, understand our anger, what triggers us, deal with it immediately. That's important. Don't delay and do the Mexican standoff as I've talked many times before. Nobody wants to talk. Men, I want to challenge you. You are responsible for initiating the deadlock, breaking of a deadlock. Not while I wait till she talks. You are. The, B- the Bible challenges men to lead and lead means take the initiative. Don't be Passive take the initiative and it's hard it takes courage but that's what god calls you to be as a man to take initiative number four the bible says we need to learn to control our anger to control it this is a brilliant skill to teach your children proverbs twenty nine eleven: a fool gives full vent in other words he gives he readily gives in He just lets it all out. A fool gives full vent to his anger. But, contrast as Proverbs often does, a wise man keeps himself under control. Under control. And by the way, one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. The more full of the spirit that you are, the more self-controlled you'll be. And as Jesus is praying for you, as he's in the priestly intercession of the high places, praying for you to be more like a son, not less like a son. One of the marks of wisdom is your ability to control your anger. See, a fool can't. Smart and wise people can. Your wisdom, your maturity. How do you do that? How do you control your anger? The Bible gives us four very practical ways to control it. Number one, I must realize the cost. Realize the cost of uncontrolled anger in my relationships. Proverbs 29, 22. A hot-tempered man starts fights and gets into all kinds of trouble. Has your anger ever gotten you into a whole bunch of trouble? Another version says, people with hot tempers do foolish things. That's the truth of God's word. Anyone want to give a testimony to that last one? Because more families are destroyed from anger than anything else. So, number one, realize the cost. Number two, which is exactly what Josh is talking about this morning, we need to reflect before where we're at. Stop and think before you speak. Put your mind in gear before your mouth starts flapping. Before you start to shoot from the lip. James says this in James 1.19. Again, here it's the verse I quoted from memory before. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Actually, and this is a fault of mine. Sometimes I have to count, because Kimberly takes time to get her thought processes together. I have to sometimes count for what seems like an eternity. I literally sometimes in the early days counted 10 seconds when there was nothing being spoken. And that was like torture to me. I was ready with a comeback or an answer. I had to count to literally 10 until she, she felt that she'd finished, or when there was a gap. Because when there's silence, I'm ready to go. And that was painful. That's something that had to happen in me. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak. And then you'll become slow to anger. The problem is we jump the gun. And we jump to conclusions. and We jump to ideas of why they're doing what they're doing. And we're in a hurry. And we just let it all out because we can't control it. And we say things often we later regret. Now the Bible says reflect before reacting. So think about what you're going to say before you'll get yourself in trouble at saying. Now the New English Bible says a stupid man gives free reign to his anger, but the wise man waits and lets it grow cool. Circle lets it grow cool. This is a practical application. Let it grow cool. Take it off the boil. The quickest way to catch your throat is with your own sharp tongue. Just be very careful. Think before you speak. Number three, release my anger appropriately. Release it. I need to learn how to do that. That's a skill. The Bible says this in Ephesians 4.29. It's a very important verse. Do not use harmful words. But there's an inappropriate way to release your anger with harmful words. Let me be really blunt in case we've missed that. Swear words. No place in a Christian marriage ever. Do not use harmful words in talking, but only helpful words. What? Yeah, the kind that build up and provide what is needed. In other words, use words that build up, not tear down. Be helpful, not harmful to the situation. It's all in the way that you say it. But let me give you a couple of suggestions. When you're having a discussion, where possible, my wife and I have come to these agreements, is we need to be reasonably brief. We can't be one hour on one person's side of the argument. (laughs) We need to be able to pull it together. Learn to state your case without having to go on and on and on and on and repeat and repeat just in case you think I haven't got it or your spouse hasn't got it, right? So that's a good thing to do. Agree that? Okay, you're ticked with me. I understand that. Now help me understand what I have done wrong, but can you try and make it cogent so I can get my head around it? Because after about a minute, number three, my head's going, woo. Okay, number two. Be specific. Don't beat around the bush. The way that you said that in front of my friends really embarrassed me. The way that you said fill in the dots, that embarrassed me. Whatever it may be. But instead of talking in vague generalities, you need to get specific. It's like me going again to Tom. Sorry, Tom, I'm picking on you. Tom, I'm sick. And he goes, I know you're sick. I say, I oh, no, I'm sick. Give me specific. What's wrong with me? I want exactly the problem. So I can get after it. Be specific instead of talking generalities. Number three, be humble. And this is very important. Be humble lest you stumble. My boys use these all in their marriages now. Be humble lest you stumble. Proverbs 13.10, only by pride comes contention. Oh boy. Anybody married to a competitive spouse? oh boy (laughs) okay pride is at the root of every argument when you're prideful in an argument you're actually mostly prolonging the argument when you're humble you're going to reduce the amount of time it takes to get to a resolution now there are certain words and phrases you ought to have off limits you need to establish some guidelines We've talked about those in other messages in your family and in your marriage for fighting fear. If you want to go back and look for it, I did a message called How to Have a Good Fight. How to have a good fight. Yeah, there are rules on how to have a good fight. And it's really important to know those. There are seven quick ground rules I'll give you right now. All start with C. You may want to write those down too. How to have a, fight, a fear fight. Never compare. Man, if you're just like your brother, not a good move. <laughs> or your sister, whatever it may. Why can't you be like, or you're just like, oh, it's unfair to compare, so never do it. In fact, the Bible clearly says, do not compare yourself one to another. It says that. That's the scriptures. Because you'll always find somebody, this or that. Never condemn. You're always. You never. Be careful of those words. They are gross generalizations. Because you know what I'm going to do, if you tell that to me. I'm going to focus my entire brain on finding one exception to that rule, and you're wrong into your argument, right? So don't use those generalizations. You never or you always. By the way, condemning never motivates. It doesn't work on parents. It doesn't work with children or husbands or wives. So we don't change when people condemn us. We change when people show us how we can change. So don't tell it just like it is. Tell it how it could be. Wouldn't it be, and that would look like something like words like this, wouldn't it be wouldn't it be good if we could and then you paint the picture you have got to get some agreement on what it could be like jesus said i didn't come to condemn the world i came to save it and if you want to be like jesus eliminate con- condemnation and constant condemnation for your vocabulary number three never command and this is a I I I I have seen this and it gobsmacks me people say something to the effect of this i demand you do it this Or we will do that. Be careful. You need to enroll your spouse or your children. Enroll them. When they are five years old and four years old, that's different. But when they're teenagers and they're adults, never command. I demand you do, do what I say. Never treat people like that. Number four, never challenge. This is a really stupid mistake that a lot of young marrieds make. Just try that and see what happens well, guess what the old nature wants to do? (laughs) I'm going to try that. And of course, if you don't follow through then, you've lost all credibility. So don't challenge people with threats. Threats don't have a place in that, remember? Use words that are helpful for building up, not tearing down. Never condescend. That means playing the psychologist. I know why you said that. No, you don't. You don't know why you say something sometimes. Sometimes. I don't know why. I'm surprised what I say sometimes. So, and then never cut off. Here's a hard one. That means interrupting a person in the middle of their sentence. All I'm saying here is wait your turn. It got so bad at our table. I mean, it wasn't for arguments, but it was just to get some air time because we have a family of very vocal people. And so my little guy, Nathan, hardly ever, well not little, now He's 6 foot 3 but he ever got any time. So we ended up literally having to use for a little while till we got some discipline around the table because we're all good ideas. This is discussion. We used to have a talking stick. So you couldn't talk unless you had the stick and you had to pass it to somebody else because <laughs> there were so many ideas going on around the place. It was four conversations going on at once. It gets confusing. But my point to you is this. Wait your term? Have you ever tried to have a conversation with a pouncer? You just get something out and they bounce on top of you and they button. Boy, it's frustrating. Seven, and lastly, here, never confuse. Some of you are, have got master's degrees in confusion. We call it in computers obfuscation. When you start to lose an argument and you know you've got that sinking feeling that last point didn't land anywhere near the one before, you change the blooming subject and start bringing in a completely unrelated issue just to obfuscate the issue so you can get into more solid ground where you're sure to win some points. That's not a smart way to do that. No marriage, friends, is perfect. But you've got to stay with the topic if you want some kind of resolution. Every marriage has faults. Even the healthiest marriages have arguments and have conflict. Remember, conflict is inevitable, but combat is not. You can disagree without being disagreeable, and you can argue without assassinating the other person's character. Now, some of you have tried all of these things, and you're feeling where you are right now is you've got the attitude, I've tried, but I just can't change i can't get control of my anger can i say to you from personal experience apart from all these practical things here's the deal listen carefully it takes god's power in your life to break that anger so how can I handle my anger in my home which is the last point i must rely on christ's help as a christian My future expectations aren't dependent on what I can do. Did you hear that? They're dependent upon what God can do and will do in my life. And that makes all the difference in the world. I am not just reliant on my own efforts. God is the one that makes the difference and can change you from the inside out. Can give you that patience, give you that wisdom, and give you the love and the joy and the peace and the patience. Patience. huh? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So it's God. Romans 15, 5. May God, here it is, who gives you patience. God gives patience. There it is there. May he who gives you patience help you live in complete harmony. That's God's will with each other. Each with the attitude of of Christ towards the other so if you want to live in harmony in your relationships you need the attitude of Christ and each of us must receive Christ into our life and then we can have his attitude because he lives within us so how does Christ help me how did that actually work in my life and how can it work in your life Here's what happens. Christ comes into my life and he heals my anger. He heals my disappointment. He heals my despair. And he deals with the root causes. He heals the hurts. He calms the fears that I had in my life with his love. Because perfect love casts out all fear. So Jesus fills you with his love and it pushes everything else out as we are sanctified. When I'm filled with anger, almost anything will tick me off. Somebody cutting me off, whatever it may be. Somebody don't my car, whatever. But when I'm filled with love, Christ's love, it's very hard to irritate me. When the world puts pressure on you, whatever's inside will come out. Whatever it is, the love of Jesus Christ comes out. And part of that love is self-control. Have you ever considered this? Part of the reason for your anger is you may be looking for other people in your life to fill an emptiness that only God can fill anyway. And when they can't fill it and they can't meet all your needs, then you're hurt, you're disappointed, and you're mad at them. Friends, no person in the world was ever meant to meet all of your needs. Because every human being isn't perfect. There are some needs in your life that only Jesus Christ can meet. And as I put on our Facebook page this week, I'll finish with this final statement. People will not love you as much as you need to be loved. Only Jesus will satisfy that deep need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know everybody that's here today and what goes on behind closed doors and in the hearts of men and women, young men and young women. And if the truth were known, there are many people here today that are struggling with the pain of conflict. Father, you know those here have, that have been suffering and feeling unaccepted. Can I say to you, on the authority of the word of God, Jesus Christ accepts you and he loves you. Because He made you. Some of you are feeling unappreciated, but you are precious in His sight. Jesus Christ knows your value. Some of you in this room today are feeling unsupported. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Some of you feel unprotected and abandoned. But the Bible says, I, Jesus, will never leave you or forsake you. Some of you are feeling uncertain about your future. And Jesus says to you, come to me if you're tired and you're weary. And I will give you rest for your soul. I want to pray one prayer this morning. I want you to pray one prayer. Would you, with a heart that's open before the Holy Spirit, say, Jesus Christ, would you replace my anger with your love? And help me to treat people the way that you would. Help me to have the attitude of your son, Jesus Christ. And today, if you've never opened your life to Jesus, would you do so this morning and invite him to come into your life? And he will begin to make the changes that you want and that he wants to make in your life thank you thank you father that your love is greater than any problem or fear or uncertainty or even the anger that I have thank you that when we are filled with your love it changes us from the inside out help us rely on your power given to us by your blessed Holy Spirit We pray this in your powerful and matchless name. Amen.